Luke chapter 14, uh, verses 25 to 35. Uh, Let's read together. Uh, Large crowds were travelling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build, wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will you not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is neither fit for the soil nor for the manure heap. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Uh, Let's pray for a moment. Father, thank you for your word. Your word which challenges and disturbs us. Your word which is full of life. Uh, Lord, may we have ears to hear what you would want to say to us this morning. If we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, uh, Jesus is still on his way to Jerusalem, as he has been for the last, um, uh, you know, since uh, uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 51. He's on this journey to Jerusalem. He knows when he gets there, he's going to die and is trying to teach and prepare and warn those who are travelling with him what to expect when they get there. So we pick up this morning, verse 25. Large crowds were travelling with Jesus. Uh, Jesus always has a large crowd of people around him because, because they, they like him. They love what they, they're hearing. They love what they're seeing. They're fascinated by who he is. Most of them haven't quite understood exactly who he is. There are rumours going around that maybe he is the Messiah. He's the one that they've been waiting 400 years for. So there's this growing excitement in the crowd as they travel with Jesus to Jerusalem and the hope is building that when they get there he will be revealed as the Messiah and their hopes and expectations around that are of a glorious victory that they will share in. Their hope is that when he gets there there will be this great uprising, God will step into history Uh, Israel will be established as an independent nation. He will be a king like one after King David of the Old Testament. The Gentile nations will be judged and punished. Uh, That includes the Roman occupiers who will be thrown out. That's the whispers going on in the crowd. That's the growing expectation. And Jesus has to teach them that it's not going to quite work out like that. Jesus knows what the crowds are like. He knows how fickle they are. Uh, There may be a large crowd now, there may be a large crowd on Palm Sunday, but Jesus knows by the time they get to Good Friday, that crowd will have vanished. So Jesus wants to teach them that actually travelling with him 
doesn't automatically guarantee them a share in his kingdom. Just by travelling with him doesn't guarantee you a part. Uh, so he says to them this challenging verse. If anyone doesn't, uh, comes to me and doesn't hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. A number of times as we go through these verses, Jesus is very, he's very straight. He says, if you don't do these things, you cannot be my disciple. It's not that, oh, you'll find it a bit difficult, or it might be a bit tricky along the way. He says, if you don't do these things, you can't be my disciple. And the first thing he says is, if you don't hate your family, you can't be my disciple. Now, Jesus is not saying we have to hate our relatives. That's not the deal. It's exaggeration for the sake of emphasis. It's exaggeration to make the point. The point is, you have to put Jesus first in everything. You have to, if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, you have to put him first in everything. That may cause you problems and that may cause you difficulties. I have a friend who came to faith at the, at the age of about 17 and started attending church. Uh, every Sunday evening he would go to church and he would go to the church youth group. And his parents were so appalled at what he was doing that when he came home from church in the evening, his father would take his belt off and beat him every Sunday. Because his father so despised what he was doing. They thought he had betrayed his family. But he'd loved Jesus and he'd chosen to put Jesus first. And it caused friction in his family and it led to him being beaten every Sunday night when he came home from church. But that was the decision that he had made. It's not just we have to put Jesus first in our families, it's first in our own lives. Anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Uh, I've, over the years, I've sometimes heard people um, use this as, as a way of oh, how sometimes we have to deal with those you know, irritations in life that just won't go away. Perhaps it's that, you know, um, you know, the annoying relative that you have to keep going to see. And people say, oh, we've all got our cross to bear. Or there's, you know, there's a difficulty at work. There's something not going well. And, oh, well, we've all got our, our cross to bear. It's that sort of minor irritation. That's not the deal at all. 2,000 years ago, if you were carrying a cross, there was only one place you were going. And that was to be crucified. If you were carrying your cross... It meant that, uh, you know, that public humiliation was what lay in store for you. You were going to your death. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, if you want to be my disciple, then you must die to yourself. You must put me first in everything. That's what is required. Uh, uh, many years ago when I um, left school and went to work in, uh, in London, I worked in a, a student's hostel. I'm sure I've told you this story before. I worked in a student's hostel and uh, in the student's hostel, uh, students obviously had a key. They were given one key and that key, the only room it would let them into was uh, their, you know, their bedroom. That was the only, way, the only room they could get into. 
And then I had friends who worked on community in this student's hostel and they were on the cleaning team. And there were five floors in the hostel. Every floor had a different cleaning team. And the cleaning team for that floor would have a sub-master key. And the sub-master key would get them into every bedroom on that floor, but no others. For some reason, I was on the maintenance team with no literally no qualifications health and safety wasn't what it was back then literally no qualifications in any kind of practical skill whatsoever but I was put on the maintenance team and given a master key and the master key meant that I could get into pretty much every single room in the building which was great for playing tricks on people because you could do all sorts. but I was given the master key I could get into had access to any room in the building when we choose to follow Jesus Christ, when we choose to become a disciple, the intention is that we give him the master key to our lives. There's nothing that is off limits. There is no aspect of our lives that is off limits. Sadly, sometimes we just give him a sub-master key. And we say, yeah, Jesus, you can have access to this bit of my life and that bit of my life, and that, but not, you, you're not getting involved in those bits. There, I'm keeping those doors locked. That's not the deal. We die to self when we choose to follow Jesus and we give him access, permission to come into every aspect of our lives. And one of the verses that I learned as a young Christian was from Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 2, verse 20, where Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. My, my, my selfish nature, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Why do we sacrifice ourselves for Jesus? Because he sacrificed himself for us. He gave everything that he had for us and invites us to give everything we have for him. That's the deal. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, you have to die to self. You have to carry your cross every single day and put him first. No matter what that means, whatever, whatever, no matter what that may cost you, that's the deal. And you can't be a disciple unless you're willing to do that. Which is why Jesus tells these two little stories about, you know, making sure you're willing to see it through to the end. Making sure that you've worked out the cost. You know, if you're going to build a tower, you want to work out that you've got everything that you need to build the tower before you start. Because you're going to look foolish if you don't get the thing completed. He says, you know, if you want to follow me, it's the most amazing thing you can do. It's the most wonderful thing you can do. It's all about life and life in all its fullness, but it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you everything. So make sure you're willing to pay the price before you set off. Or like the king who goes out to fight. Make sure you've worked out what it's going to cost you. Because if you don't, verse 33, any of you who does not give up everything they have cannot be my disciple. Following Jesus costs everything, or it ought to. If it doesn't, if it's not, then there are consequences of that. Verse 34, Jesus says, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's fit neither for the soil nor for the manure heap. 
It is to be thrown out. Jesus says in another place that we are supposed to be salt and light in the world. We're supposed to make a positive difference. Salt was used for preserving food and it was used for adding taste for food. Uh, I made some bread a couple of months ago. Um, I always have to clarify this because uh, it makes me sound like I know what I'm doing. I just put ingredients in a bread maker and press the button. But bread comes out. And uh, a few months ago, I put it all in and I was in a rush and I forgot to put the salt in. And then I, I kind of cut it and I was eating it. I thought, there's something funny about the taste of this bread. Uh, to be honest, it was revolting. <laughs> it was completely wrong. I hate throwing food away. So I did, I did persevere and I did eat it. But it was revolting. Because it had no salt in it. And eventually, I thought, ah, I forgot to put the salt in. You know, salt, it, you know, it makes things taste better. We're supposed to be like that in the world. If we are sold out for Jesus Christ, we will be really salty. We will make our environment taste better. Uh, Peter writes in his first letter, 1 Peter 3.15, uh, he says, In your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Why would anyone ask us for the hope that we have? Well, they'd ask us because they see something in our lives that looks good. You know what it's like when you go around to, you go around to someone's house for a meal and they serve you a really lovely, really lovely food. And what do you say? You say, oh, can I have the recipe? Oh, can I have the recipe, Joe? Thank you. I didn't say that on Wednesday, but I just thought I'd better say it now. Can I have the recipe? It was a really lovely quiche. But that's what you do when you go around to someone's house, you know, really delicious food. You say, can I have the recipe? Because I want, I want to eat. You know, I want to have some of that. And, you know, we should be having such an impact in the world that people will look on our lives and they say, well, can I have the recipe? Can I have the recipe? I want to know what it is about you that makes such a difference. We're supposed to be salty. And Jesus says, if we lose our saltiness, well, we, you know, we're useless. If we, just, if we just live lives that blend into the rest of the world, well, what's, you know, what's the point? God hates it when we lose our saltiness. Uh, Revelation uh, chapter 3, uh, Jesus is Uh, letter to the church at Laodicea this is what Jesus says he says I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot I wish you were either one or the other so because you are lukewarm neither hot nor cold I'm about to spit you out of my mouth God hates it when we are lukewarm because we're not making the impact in the world that we should we're not uh, salt and light we're not making a difference people are not looking at us and thinking I want the recipe I want the recipe for your life and the recipe is Jesus we need to be salty if we lose our saltiness not only do we become uh, less effective in the world but also we run the danger of of um, of just drifting away from the Lord of becoming uh, lukewarm There's a warning in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 25 uh, where uh, Moses is giving advice to the people as they travel on their journey uh, toward the promised land. And he says this in 25 verse um, 18. 
When you were weary and worn out, speaking about some of the enemies that they faced along the way, particularly the Amalekites, when you were weary and worn out, they met you on your journey and cut off all who were lagging behind. When you were weary and worn out, they met you on your journey and cut off all who were lagging behind. If we neglect our our discipleship, our following of Jesus, then we fall prey to uh, being picked off by the enemy, of increasingly being discouraged. So how do we keep our saltiness? How do we remain salty? Let me suggest a couple of things. First of all, worship. Live a life of worship. Which doesn't just mean come to church on Sunday morning. Living a life of worship is 24-7. It means beginning every day with that offer of sacrifice. Uh, Paul writes in Romans chapter 12. I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Our lives should be lives of worship. And worship is simply about putting Jesus first. First and foremost in everything. That's how we worship. Live a life rooted in his word. This book is God's inspired word. It has power and it has authority. Find a way of making This word, part of your daily discipline, that every day you spend some time in this word. It's a book of life. Some of us are reading through uh, the Bible in a year. In fact, I discovered uh, partway in that we're going to read the New Testament twice in a year uh, because we're going at pace. Uh, We finished Revelation today and we're starting Matthew again tomorrow. But you don't have to, I mean, you can do that 15 minutes a day. You can read the Bible, but that can be quite daunting. If you download the YouVersion app on your phone, there are hundreds of Bible reading plans. Some of them are three days, five days, 30 days. Just if you're following Jesus, find a way of making reading this book part of your daily discipline. When I first became a Christian, I used to read two or three verses a day. It took me like a minute. That's how I started. And more and more I fell in love with this book and love to read it more and more. Don't ever let it be a, be a burden, a, a, a duty, but let it be a discipline because it will make you salty and you need to be salty because if you're not salty, well, you're not of any use in the kingdom of God. Jesus calls us to put him first. It's that um, um, upside down nature of the kingdom of God that you gain your life by losing it. That's the deal. And Jesus sets the example. He lost his life and gained again the glory of heaven. And he invites us to do the same. And I want to invite you this morning, if you would like, to, to do that. On your chairs, there's a little yellow slip of paper which has a, it's a kind of declaration of our, of our decision... To sacrifice everything in order to follow Jesus. And um, I'll just, just kind of have a quick look through it. And I'm going to invite you to stand in a moment. And if you would like to, to say it with me. You don't have to. You may read it and think, well, I'm not quite sure. That doesn't matter. That's fine. But if you would like to, it's a way of declaring our commitment to put 
Jesus first in everything. So let's stand. And if you'd like to, join with me as we say these words together. As a company of men and women who have received Christ as Saviour and by grace become God's children, we here and now dedicate ourselves to him. We desire to renew our commitment as a church of Jesus Christ, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, united to walk worthily of our profession, set apart to proclaim his word, to observe his commandments, and by God's grace to work according to his will for the salvation of others and the well-being of the world. Amen. I am no longer my own, but yours. Send me where you will. Rank me with whom you will. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you, exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. Freely and wholeheartedly, I yield my life and all I possess to your disposal. Amen.